Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Hi, I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also the uh, co-editor of PW Comics World. I am the graphic novel review editor for Publishers Weekly, and I'm also the editor-in-chief of Comics Beat, www.comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer. I write for Publishers Weekly Comic World, and I am assistant editor at the Beat. And this week on More to Come, uh, Marvel and Disney uh, gang up on Gary Friedrich? Or, or do they? <laughs> or do they? Or do they? <laughs> uh, DC's uh, retailer survey, uh, Viz, uh, Viz Media, and uh, its new Shonen Jump Alpha digital publication. Uh, Diamond Digital um, releases an app. Uh, we'll have a Walking Dead roundup and kapow. <laughs> and, uh, in more ways than one, we'll let you figure out that when, uh, when we get around to it. And of course, uh, news briefs. So let's get right to it. Uh, the Marvel Disney, uh, Gary Friedrich rhubarb. Uh, yeah, over or ownership. legal lawsuit. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was at a gathering of some comics folks last night, and uh, this is all anybody could talk about, really. I mean, it's just kind yeah. of obsessed. I think it's really kind of a, a timing issue, also. Um, it, it, but basically, the background is... An inflammatory issue, too, in, 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 in terms of how it's been characterized. Right. First well, book, it's so. really kind of touched everybody where they live, you yeah. know, especially freelancers. Yeah. I mean, things are, you know, it's tough out there. I mean, I've been covering that a lot in, sure. in all my stories recently. I mean, it's very obvious. Uh, you know, I've been running some stories about just how, you know, Faith Aaron Hicks uh, lives on $20,000 Canadian a year, you know, or $10,000 <laughs> Canadian a year. I, I mean, it's not the most but, lucrative but, but time right now. What is Friedrich's situation? Friedrich's situation is uh, he is an older creator. He is 70 years old. He was a writer for Marvel in the 70s. And uh, he wrote a bunch of titles, um, and, uh, including Ghost Rider. The initial did appearance... Did he create Ghost Rider? Well, he co-created mm -hmm. Ghost Rider. And it's kind of complicated because yes. he was a writer at that point. Uh, working on Marvel Showcase, and uh, Roy Thomas, the Marvel editor, mm -hmm. uh, came to him and said, why don't you update Ghost Rider? We have this old Western character. Let's update him for now. You know, maybe he can ride a motorcycle. Yeah. And <laughs> so, uh, is that creating the character? I think Roy really had some um, thing to do with it. Uh, anyway, but Gary wrote sure. the first issue. Uh, Mike Kim drew it. And the rest is history. We have Ghost Rider uh, chugging along to today, to uh, tomorrow, is opening up a Ghost Rider movie yeah. starring Nicolas yeah. Cage. So, yeah, uh, over the years, Gary uh, sued Marvel. Now, he he launched a lawsuit yeah. against Marvel asking for a share of the profits, claiming that he was, as co-creator, he was due some share of the profits. So, there have been quite a few of these lawsuits over the years. And a lot of them, people had far better claim. For instance, Joe Simon sued Marvel for ownership of... Uh, Captain America, because he absolutely co-created the character with Jack Kirby back in 1940, so which is an incontrovertible fact. Um, yeah. So he, they had a settlement out of court. Nobody really knows. It's too bad we don't know what the terms of that settlement are, because yeah. that would be pretty much a precedent. Um, but Marvel has been continuously beating Friedrich's ass in court. Uh, they've been winning all of their uh, all of their motions, and they filed a countersuit against him because. For the past few years, he has been going to conventions, setting up with a big sign that says the creator of Ghost Rider, selling prints that he yes. commissioned yes. of Ghost Rider. Um, 
And that is really the crux of the matter. So There's some dubious uh, claims by Right. So Mr. in Friedrich, the there. testimony in the court, he said that he had made $17,000 off of selling Ghost Rider merchandise, and that constituted the major part of his income. And so in the judgment, uh, the court ruled that he must repay the $1,700, uh, $17,000 $17, yeah. to Marvel because uh, it was copyright mm-hmm. infringement, and he does not own Ghost Rider. So... This is sort of open to can of worms, because if you go to any comic convention or walk around artists, you will see a ton of creators from Adam Hughes on down sitting behind their tables selling their sketches of Marvel and DC and other trademark characters. There, in some cases, they sell sketchbooks. In some cases, they sell sketchbooks. They sell prints. I mean, they sell all sorts of material. This is a way of life at yes. conventions. Okay, it is a way of life at conventions, and uh, this this... It's not entirely clear. I mean, I, I talked to some smart people who are saying, oh, this does not set a precedent. Other people think it is setting a precedent. And Disney, which now owns Marvel, is, of course, known for being very, very aggressive in going after copyright infringement and trademark infringement. And uh, Disney is, uh, is obviously well known for aggressively protecting its copyrights. But now, uh, uh, and maybe it can get away with that, you know, with... with, with um, with some of its other characters, but with Marvel characters, there's such a long and with, with mainstream comic, you know, superhero comics, there's such a long tradition of, of artist alley uh, artists doing what you know whether they work on the character or not doing doing uh, character sketches. Right. I mean, does is, is, can anyone document Disney roaming the aisles of artist alleys in San Diego, um, handing out think, cease and desist letters? Um, the one thing that I have heard <laughs> is that they have shut down some Etsy stores uh, where people were selling stuff. That was basically, you know, Etsy, of course, is kind of the well, that's uh, an the, online the deviant art of crafts right. where people just sell all their stuff. Right. So, what that goes on on deviant art? It's interesting you mentioned that. That must deviant art must be full of copyrighted I characters. I think think my suspicion is that Disney will allow art to slip through, but is very unhappy about uh, homemade merchandise. And That's Etsy odd. is absolutely packed full of merchandise. Well, Disney makes most well, of its money on merchandise, mm-hmm. so sure. it could understand be understandable if that would be what they would protect. And that's easier to track. If they're if they're selling stuff through Etsy, that's a lot easier. It seems absolutely. to me to track. Absolutely. Uh, and put uh, now on the other hand, people doing one-off drawings live. I find it odd that a, that a corporation would really need to suppress that. What people are telling me is there was an incident where Adam Hughes was approached by DC. Adam Hughes, of course, is an incredibly popular artist and, you know, really a great artist also who makes a fortune doing sketches at cons. And he sells his sketchbooks at the cons. And it's all copyrighted characters. And apparently at some point DC did approach him and say, you know, maybe this isn't kosher. However... Other people at DC were then like, you can't touch Adam Hughes, he's our number one co- cover artist. So some kind of agreement was made. Um, Jim Shooter, the former Marvel editor-in-chief, put on his blog that back in his day, he used to license the characters out for $1 to artists who wanted to do it. Um, yeah, is there some waiver that could the, be issued? Yeah, I mean, because I mean, this, this is what people are, I mean, everybody's just freaked out by this. They are afraid that Marvel and Disney are going to come to Artist Alley and really clamp down on a, a huge part of their livelihood. You know, so yeah. but but Mara, the also at the same time the the 
uh, bad press at Marvel for, you know, trying to get $17,000 out of a broke, sick old man who yes. has no oh. has no union, has no retirement, yes. has no mm-hmm. pension. You know, it's really been left high and dry. But kind of a industry. poster child yeah, of, like, a, bad practices in the comic book exactly. industry. Exactly. So they know they're getting yeah. a black eye about this. Uh, that's why yesterday... Uh, publisher Dan Buckley and Chief Creative Officer Joe Casada both came out and did an interview where they're like, look, we d- are not going to clamp down on Artist Alley. We love it when uh, creators um, enhance our characters or their, you know, we encourage the excitement that this creates. I mean, it's very lawyer-vetted yeah. language, but they were basically saying we're not coming after Artist Alley. And I think, I think what could happen, according to what some people have been telling me, there really is a don't ask, don't tell. This yeah. is a perfect example of a don't ask, don't tell. People look the other way, unless you make a stink, like Gary Friedrich did. Yeah. So he yeah. really had to be there. You know, Marvel has no choice but to come down on Gary Friedrich because of the statement. Well, I do think it's really pushing the, pushing it to be commissioning uh, prints and the like. I mean, obviously other people do it too, right, but, right. Uh, I but mean, yeah. <laughs> maybe we should ask ourselves what we can do so that we don't have a situation for uh, Gary Trigger. But, but I, I will say, well, some people, I mean, there's Facebook petitions, there's, uh, you know, artwork, uh, benefits, uh, you know, this hero initiative, there's all sorts of stuff. It's just a real, everybody's running around right now really freaked out by this. And if some people are like, like you were saying, oh, can we get this license or can there be an agreement? You know, it is possible. That somebody pushing this and trying to get it made right might again push this into a state where Disney has no choice, or Marvel or DC has no choice. So it's really a, a, a tightrope here, yeah. you know. I mean, do we go along and trust DC and Marvel to do the right thing? Uh, that hasn't turned out so well. <laughs> so I mean, you can't. It's kind of a minefield trying to find a way through. Everybody. But I mean, a, the, but does Disney really want to have you know post stormtroopers in the artist alleys uh, uh, around the country marching through there and shutting down any well, any perceived infringement? I will say this: Disney has made some missteps of this ilk in the past. There is a famous lawsuit where they came after a children's daycare that had home painted murals on the walls of, you know, clearly not particularly accurate Disney characters drawn as best as possible by the daycare staff and sued them for thousands of dollars. I think it was a C&D. Was it an actual lawsuit or just a cease and desist? Uh, There's an actual lawsuit. But uh, Warner Brothers came and paid all their legal bills and got their animators to paint them a Warner Brothers character mural. (laughs) So... I mean, I would hope that Disney would be smart enough to try to avoid a similar debacle in the future. Sure, but it's not beyond question well, that, that there might be a few moments. That was a long time, though. I mean, that was in the 90s, right? Uh, I mean, it's, uh, Disney would would do it, okay? Disney mm. is the biggest IP yeah, company yeah. on Earth. They have the best IP lawyers, and they are the most aggressive and the smartest about protecting their copyrights and their trademarks. So and also, the politicians yeah. adore them and yes. will give Disney anything, yeah. because uh, you oh, don't want to make me there, there is one thing, and I, and I read this quickly, so I may be inaccurate, but uh, as part of some uh, of, I think, Friedrich's lawsuit, there was some determination made about the, the notorious uh, uh, sign-offs on the back of Marvel checks, that there was some determination that at a certain point, those sign-offs uh, didn't make it clear that there were to be in no other compensation for this work. So there, I got right. a sense that there is a possibility in some cases for uh, creators actually to have a legal basis 
for some additional well, compensation that, on top of whatever is, they were paid work for hire. That is a very interesting point. And in a post on Facebook, uh, Jean-Marc Lefissier, who is a uh, lawyer and uh, you know a, mm. a agent, so he's very conversant with all these issues, um, brought up the Peggy Lee lawsuit, in which Peggy mm-hmm. Lee won uh, back royalties from Disney over the use of her uh, recording for Lady and the Tramp, because at the time she signed her contract back in the 50s, DVDs did not exist, CDs did not exist, home video did not exist, all these media did not exist. And the, the court did hold that uh, because the initial contract had not covered all media you know, across the universe in all perpetuity, which is what most contracts now say, that she was entitled. So in the 70s, I'm not sure that the uh, perpetuity clauses were in there, so there could actually be some kind of uh, you know precedent there in the Peggy Lee case that would apply to this. So you know, it's all tied up with Jack Kirby is also having, yeah. his estate is also suing Marvel for all this. There have been lots and lots of lawsuits. You know, I, I don't know where this is going. I know there's a lot of poor older creators, and there's a lot of mystery about what really happened. Yeah, this is an ongoing uh, issue the gigantic uh, gorilla cartoonist in the room. Um, it, it's not going to go away, and as we see periodically, right. these there they, these issues flare up, but they're really part of a larger issue right. about compensation, and work the, for hire, right? Uh, you know, over decades. And the Friedrich uh, lawsuit is not over; it is ongoing. Yeah. A yeah. settlement is being negotiated. And furthermore, um, even if they don't stormtrooper the artist alleys everywhere. It could be seen by many creators who are considering bringing such a lawsuit as, you know, a danger of doing right. so. That right. if you go after Disney, Disney will go after you hard, like right. they did Friedrich. Right, right. So, yeah, I, everybody's right to be freaked out, but I, I think the larger issues of all of this are, um, you know, breaking free of the chains of the uh, sort of bogus and shady origins of the comics industry yeah. under which people got cheated left and right. Yes, so. yes, that's pretty much well sums it up. Yes. Okay. DC Retailer Survey. Very interesting. Consumer data. Um, yes. Um, there's something unusual. Yes, yes. Well, they, as part of the New 52, they commissioned mm-hmm. a three-pronged study uh, that to get reader opinions on all of the New 52 titles. I took the online version of it, and uh, did you do that? Kate? Sure did. did yeah, uh, did you know, that. you wanted to talk, describe it a little bit, so. Um, well, I was one of the people who was not bounced from the survey. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, for unknown got reasons. Through. She made it. She a lot of people, through. for unknown reasons, were told they were not eligible for the survey. Um, it basically listed all the titles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a lot, but it listed all the titles. It also listed a fake title, NIRAC. So if that could get you bumped off. As I oh, that was if like you, the number one bump yeah, off. So if, if you're you, someone who was like blindly, like had bo- really genuinely bought all 52, and mm-hmm. therefore was not paying much attention as you were clicking through, like click, 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 uh, you might have also clicked on your act, and then it would bounce you as someone who's just a liar. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, it it asked, you know, how old are you? How what is your household income? Um, how much do you usually spend on comic? Uh, what, what are you looking for in a comic? You know, with the new 52, are you buying more comics from us this month? Like, and what are you looking should, for? We also have, should be clear, this was narrowly focused on the new 52. Right, it was you just know, asking yeah. about the new 52, but it was asking, mm. what are you looking, what do you yeah. want? And it, it, it had 
for each, I mean, it took a long time. To it was a long survey. survey. Because for every title in the new 52, it asked you, are you going to read this? Are you going to keep reading this? Well, it, it, it asked you that about all the ones that you clicked yeah. that you were reading. Right, yeah. exactly. So if you clicked so, 52, you had 52 to fill yeah. out. If you clicked 6, you had 6 to fill out. Right. So, um, so and it seemed, to, uh, it seemed to have a decent sample size on the online surveys, but, yes. but fairly small. Were the three groups were in-store? Mm -hmm. Uh, what was it? In store, in -store online, um, and then there and was online. through uh, DC's digital vendors, through their Comicsology and their app, they sent, were also I sent, through the app. Yeah, yeah yes. they were sent their own yes. separate survey. Right. And um, I mean, the findings kind of uh, backed up what people yeah. expected yeah. to find in that uh, readers, uh, uh, like the three different groups did have different demographics, but yes. mostly overwhelmingly male. Yes. Um, probably older. Only two percent of the no, readers I, were no, under, not older. Not they, older. No, actually, well, under eighteen. Well, yeah. yeah. Under 13 to they 34. I don't think any of us would have programmed yeah. uh, the typical comic span as 13 to 34. Well, that's a little bit misleading according to the statistics. You know, the sad thing about this is DC has not actually released the, the cross tabs on this. All mm -hmm. they did was put out some bullet points, and yeah. uh, so far ICV2 and myself have been able to interview John Rood about it. So it's not like we could sit here and look at the numbers. Yeah. You know, we're arguing. It'd be about really that. interesting to see the numbers. Yeah, I mean, the way it was broken down here is that uh, the 13 to 17 group was one to two percent. 18 to 24 was 14 percent. Uh, Wasn't 50% were age 13 to 34? No? Yeah, yes, but she's breaking that down. Only 2% were under 18. So that's mm -hmm. a little bit misleading. Uh, okay? okay, that's a little bit misleading. Mm. According to the breakdown that I have here. Yeah, but, I you know, we could, we could argue about okay. But I, I would say to say that they're in their 20s and 30s is, is definitely fair. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. that's still the... You know, the 20s are a more youthful audience than a lot of times we think of for DC books. So yes, I, I think that, that, that's my, that was my yes, only point. Yes, it, but it I, seemed it was skewing a little I mean, bit younger than we generally assume. take the, the yes, direct market. Yes. Typical direct market right. customer. But, I, but, I, but that's also, like, young readers were definitely not well represented. But, I mean, that's kind of comes to the territory. Yeah. Well, but of most the of the new 52 books were not appropriate exactly. for young readers. Exactly. Like, yeah. if yeah. I had kids, I would be very wary of which ones I let them buy. Right. Now, one of the brothers, and maybe I'm stating this inaccurately, that, uh, what, 70% were seen to be avid fans? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Self described yeah. avid, avid fans. fans. And really, they only came in with about. 5% Five percent Five percent of new readers, yes. Were new readers. Yes. And uh, according to John Rood, um, the digital readers were the le least avid, okay? Yes. So that they, does they, show they, that yeah. among the digital readers, they're a little bit less, um, you know, married to the whole Wednesday culture yeah. of going to the comic shop, and which really, you know, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, makes to be which is sort which of, you know, And I actually reasonable. found his uh, explanation um, convincing that, uh, you know, particularly on the, for the, the, the numbers of new readers versus the, what was it, 5%, uh, and you could make the case that, you know, new readers are probably the least likely to fill out a survey. Right, exactly. You know, so. particularly a long and involved survey, when you're just kind of poking around to see what with all the right. noise. I, I, I mean, you know, I think I think uh, Rude is very eager to spin out a lot of the digital information out of this as opposed to the demographic information. I mean, just about, mm. he, he's always pointing out that the digital numbers are very, very, very consistent. Like, you know, if, if yeah. Detective sold, like, you know, a thousand copies digitally. Then Detective Number Two sold a thousand. I'm making these numbers up, by the way. But well, he's just yeah, saying the sales have been very, very consistent. And, and therefore, I think his point is, is that it's not eating in, it's right. not growing right. across right. 
these series, right. and therefore not eating into print sales. Right, right. And, and, and freaking out uh, right. physical retailers. And, you know, to be <laughs> fair, it's like in the book world, digital sales have Absolutely. surged. And yes. yes. And they have... Um, they have cut into princess. Yes, very, very quickly. Whereas in the comics world, we have we're not seeing that yeah. quite I, as as fast. I think it's the the fact that color tablets are not ubiquitous yet. Once they are, look out. Well, yeah. you know, well, Amazon sold four million. No, no, I, I know, <laughs> I, tablets. I know. But, but, what but I mean, as you're saying, as I people mean, start to buy, use them. Yeah, that could it's, very it's well still be the early case. days for the color tablet, but there's um, there's not a affordable killer comic book reader item that you can read it on like like the i mean the ipad's great but i mean yeah. that, that every but most people have yeah. that will really eat the sales the way you know being able to to read your ebook on your phone yeah yeah is cutting or into even on your sales. kindle i mean yeah. you know what uh, yeah i mean the ipad yeah, is still a pricey pricey right. beast. It's, it's it's not it's not all the way there yet. yeah yeah um, but but i do think that it is as is in the context of what you're saying in the general print world what's happening with digital uh, it's an interesting point, but you're right. The, the, it's it's too small a sample, and it's too early really to tell. But, 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 but it's, it's a point a of conversation. Slow. It's a, it, it's yeah. a slowly coming, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. revolution. Uh, okay. And it's very consistent. And it's very consistent. Very consistent. Yes. Yeah. I don't uh, mean that, even if it doesn't seem to be growing dramatically across the series. Right. Well, and was, the, oh, go ahead. One sorry. thing I was going to say, mm -hmm. interesting uh, demographic-wise, was that the online survey, not the digital survey, not the in-store survey, but the online survey had, I believe, it was 23% women, as opposed yes, to 7% just... women. Good point. And, Good point. To bring that up. and uh, he sort of, in the interview with Heidi, yeah. blew that off a little bit and went, well... I thought it was pretty interesting, but go he, on. he was like, well, you know, maybe women just have women issues they want to talk about. Yeah, maybe they don't like going to comic shops. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was... Or alternate... Yeah. I think that's... Uh, the, I think that's or alternately... More... Well, how about... Uh, this is, here's my personal opinion. Yeah. I think... Women don't like to be approached by strange men, especially in comic shops, especially those little survey guys who've got a clipboard and like, hey, can I talk to you? And you're like, whoa, no. Well, uh, you know, the in-store survey was the least amount of respondents. I think it was only like 180 or yeah, something, something like that. Like that. So 5% yeah. of that is literally like seven women. So <laughs> and the, yeah. and the online was the largest. So if you have, you know, 23% of... Uh, five thousand. That's significant. More than five people who went into a comic shop. So maybe I, uh, you know, I'm not sure what you should take away from that. Yeah, I would say. You Except know, that I know that women online love to complain about DC Comics. Uh, hey, that's comic book fans. Let's be honest. Yes. But I, I do, I do find it women interesting the way that um, that the online only uh, were characterized: uh, casual, uh, they love convenience uh, and, and speed. And uh, and then uh, yeah, then I myself tagged on it. You know, maybe they just don't like going to comic right, shops, right. or maybe know, they don't live anywhere yeah. near one. Uh, a good point. Once again, once uh, again. Yeah, I I would say like they've released a lot of very tantalizing tidbits about this survey. Um, one of the things that John Rude made very clear is they're going to do another one, and they're going to continue yeah. doing some really strong market research. And you know, big that would props, be good. big props, yes, DC. This is not cheap. They've hired Nielsen to do it, so yeah. I mean, they are sinking some real money into doing this. I, I think doing surveys is actually a good idea because how often do we complain about the fact? The comic companies just sort of assume they know what fans want and never bother to ask anyone. Publishers in general. I mean, I, 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 yeah. We assume this about comics, and it certainly is a, what, seems, what goes on in the, in the prose world is that there's not a lot of custom data. Yeah, I mean, now, that's changing in the digital era. But, oh, yeah. Well, you know, by the way, I misspoke. It wasn't 5% women, it's 7%. I just want to... Uh, oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Said that. yeah. So, yeah. Right. Um, um, anyway, well, anyway, more to come on that. Um, more to come. Uh, more 
let's see, more digital. This media and um, the launching of Shonen Jump Alpha. Uh, basically, what they've done is they've shut down the print magazine. They've gone digital. Uh, it's a monthly pub- publication that you can subscribe to. Um, it's supposedly, when it was launched in San Diego, uh, supposedly it was it was touted as near simultaneous um, publication of Japanese and English. Well, it's it's closer than anything else that's been coming out. I mean, except you know, for Yen Press's, right? Except for Yen uh, Press, which uh, solely or not. That's a different thing. But yeah, and, and it's only from, one title. Aside from uh, the anime, which has been coming online in genuinely yes, yes, simultaneous yes, release. Yes, absolutely. But for manga, this is pretty good. It's usually within like six weeks of it hitting the press in Japan. It's yeah. not like a ridiculous. Well, week. it was supposed to be two weeks. Uh, uh, yeah. At the launch in San Diego, it was supposed to be two, two weeks, weeks behind. I hear it's been much longer. Now I heard here's because I haven't seen it myself. I hear that not only is the, is the delay much longer. I understand uh, that there's not as many of the series in it. There were about seven series that were supposed to be in it, and I hear that. And I correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not not entirely sure. Uh, it's been like three or four. Well, it could be a soft launch. I mean, (laughs) why are you making excuses for Biz Media? (laughs) I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying that I know how things go. You have this very ambitious project, and you're like, yes, it will be awesome. Two weeks, yes, and then you don't actually have that in time for the regular launch. So you're just like, yeah, three titles, it'll be great. And the thing is, fans don't like that very much. Clearly. I mean, well, the whole delay... Overall, the fans don't fans like. Fans don't like that. Um, no. Uh, and and certainly, especially uh, not the, digital magazines. You know, at the no. at the launch of um, or the announcement of this in San Diego last year, um, uh, Viz Media's album did say one of the reasons why there was a uh, even a two week delay is that you know basically to get their act together. Uh, yeah, and so I I think that's a good point. Um, all things involved with technology get a little bit better over time uh, as you get the bugs out. So. But but the, the early reviews uh, seem to be a little cranky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At so unusual in, in comics use. culture of any kind. But yeah. Um, yeah easier to use than two. You know, talk about simultaneous release. This is not on our story list. But uh, did you guys see how David Brothers and David Usaberry had smoothed out the fact that all the pirate versions of Marvel comics were actually coming from Marvel's like original files like like they had some kind oh, of IT geez, no. vulnerability yeah and it was and they literally like these two bloggers well David has written for us yeah. as a matter of fact actually figured out that that the pirates the pirates are coming from the, in the house, yeah, house. I mean, we're we're getting these files directly from Marvel and there's um, been much speculation as to how they're getting it you know was it is it a leak on the printing end mm-hmm. is it a leak Inside the art department, is it like somebody who's figured out a way to hack into the FTP yeah. site? There's debate. Yes, but anyway, I just yeah, you know well, talk about simultaneous. It's yes. like <laughs> you can't get much more simultaneous than that. So. <laughs> uh, well, so oh, moving on on our list of, of digital topics. Um, okay, Diamond uh, Digital, which is Diamond Comics Distributors uh, digital initiative, uh, announced I think it was early last year. Uh, that um, Diamond would be uh, launching a digital program that included retailers, that allowed retailers to um, to sell digital downloads uh, uh, through using codes in the store. You could get the code, and you could download it there. You go back to your home and do it. Uh, now they've released uh, an app. There seems to be some confusion about just what it does, but as far as I can make out, and I'm actually going to be interviewing uh, Michael Murphy, the um, the CEO of Iverse, 
who's partnering with Diamond uh, to launch this. Uh, I'm going to be talking with him in, in a day or two to to do a story for for us about this. But as far as I can understand now, this app allows um, retailers to to really to sell it kind of direct to your device, mm-hmm. and you can read it on the device there. You can read it at home. Uh, you can buy it in the store, wherever. But you can read the device on on the device and online uh, at a retailer's website. Mm-hmm. So it it, it 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 it's not an affiliate program, which they made it clear. They were very uh, they were were emphatic about that back at the announcement uh, right. early in 2011. That it's not a retail. It's not just you know you're sending. It's a link that you send with someone onto another retailer, um, and you know you get a percentage back. Supposedly, there are real margins uh, for retailers in this particular program. So, um, uh, on the surface, certainly, it seems like a, a good effort mm-hmm. to bring yeah. retailers into the digital. Right. And, yeah, and to just you know get get more opportunities for because um, I think they're working with publishers also, aren't they? To make well, it, well, yeah, they got to be. The, whole... They need publishers to opt in so that right. they can, right. you know, yeah, and so. uh, and you know, and I have to admit, I'm a little foggy. At one point, Marvel and DC were not in it. I mm-hmm. do think that I think DC is well, a there, part of it. You know, this was announced at Comics Pro, which is uh, yeah. you know mm-hmm. not open to the press, but of course a few people wrote about it, so they haven't really made their announcement. Uh, there's just a lot of questions, so I, I, I yeah, definitely so. look forward to reading your interview. With <laughs> yes, yes, and hopefully I, guess, I can actually yeah. understand what he what he right, tells me. Right. But um, yeah, we as we continue to to write about digital as we learn. Yes, yes, <laughs> we write digital. and we learn. Yes. So all right, moving right along. Uh, the Walking Dead roundup. Seems oh. like there's much news about well, The Walking, Walking Dead. Well, Walking Dead came back for the second half of their yes. second season on Sunday on AMC. Again, set records. Uh, you know, just a, it's it's really kind of crazy how this show has become a real, you know, cultural touch point now. I was at Toy Fair, and everywhere mm-hmm. you go was Walking Dead. I mean, McFarlane is doing the toys. They're pretty gruesome, but they're doing the second series, which is based on the show. And they, it's funny, they had the... Uh, one Rick Grimes so based on the comic right next to the Rick Grimes based on Andrew Lincoln, who plays Rick on the show. Um, so another big, you know, big success with that. There's a video game coming. They just released that's coming this spring where, you, you know, you can go around and, you're, you know, fight your own zombie apocalypse. It's the zombie Telltale. shows for people who hate zombies. It really <laughs> is. And then, but then in the battle behind the scenes, there was also a lawsuit oh, filed by yeah. Tony Moore, who drew the first six issues of the comic. Um, with Robert Kirkman and high school uh, buddies. High yeah. school buddies, mm-hmm. yeah, they grew up together in Kentucky and did a bunch of comics together. But Morris fired a, filed a lawsuit claiming that he has he was defrauded of rights to the show back in 2005 when he had to sign a agreement that he gave up all rights to the property in exchange for 60% of the publishing net profits on. The books that he drew, and then a certain amount from the TV show of The Walking Dead, uh, the movie rights, which also covers TV, uh, The Walking Dead, and several other properties that he and Kirkman worked on, such as Father Pope. Um, so anyway, this is another cannon shot in the battle of creator rights. I mean, Walking yeah. Dead is shown really held up as the example, you know, the greatest example of a creator-owned yeah. property doing well. I mean, Kirkman is doing very well for himself. As the... Brilliantly translated from one medium to another that, that, yeah. and, and still linked, I think, in people's minds and in um, and their imagination. Uh, well, I guess that would be the same thing. Yeah. Um, uh, with the comic. I yeah. mean, it, it's, it's a property in some ways much like Scott Pilgrim where, there's, where the, the, the show 
the film, the TV seems to really work in right. conjunction well, you know, with, a lot with, the, of times with for, the comics. Yeah, and a lot of times when a creator becomes a spokesman, you know, like, like I mean, obviously he's online, but you know how like Rod Serling became yeah. a personality, yeah. Yeah. you know? I mean, Kirkman isn't that big, but I mean, he's definitely becoming a personality yeah. in association with the show. He's a sweetheart, if you've and ever talked to him. And he is, and you know, he's done a lot for Image. I mean, sure. he's put a lot of the money from the books back into Image, and and so, you know, he really has a reputation as a good guy. So so this kind of came as like, oh, no, no, not Robert Kirkman, too. But, you know, it'll all play out in court. Well, you know, and, and we, sorry, go ahead, Kate. I was going to say, it's entirely possible to have everyone operating in good faith and bad feelings still come out of line. <laughs> um, yeah, as the money gets, there's more yeah, the and more money. The money gets bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Particularly if anyone involved is, say, in the comic industry and not particularly good at money. And if anyone makes any mistakes along the way, then it can, you know, yeah. mount up. And, and, we have to, and we have to bear in mind that Moore seems to be uh, actually claiming that he hasn't really seen documentation of right. his yeah. royalties. Not that he hasn't been paid. Right, exactly. That so he hasn't been, been able paid. to see the paperwork. He's claiming he hasn't been paid enough. Yeah. And, you know, as I... Yeah. <laughs> Are we ever yeah, paid right? enough? Yeah, well, so, uh, <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll, yeah, we'll see, see what's going we'll on. We'll see what's going on. Yeah. yeah. All right. And, uh, Kapow. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and and what is Kapow? Uh, Kapow is a new Comic Con. Well, relatively new. Last year was the, it was the first year in uh, Britain, mm-hmm. and Mark Millar is one of the architects of it the and, and the face of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, last year it had a small problem with um, not <laughs> listing any. Female I mean, comic. not listing yes. any. I mean, we're not talking about we're not, not talking about like a low percentage. We're talking it's about like zero. zero. Like. Zero. Out of like how many guests? I mean, well, it's thirty or forty. Many. I mean, it's yeah, not a huge. It's not a huge show, and, uh, but yeah. still. So, and uh, the excuse that about last year was that this is a superhero focused show and women don't like so much. No, no, it wasn't that women there are no don't chicks like around. Is that in England there are no women? And and, and Millar really got into it because he was like, well, this is for top creators. We're really only invited the top creators. I'm like, well. Uh, and women don't aren't top creators in England, or there aren't any in England. And then this prompted a woman to put up a list of over a hundred <laughs> women in England. You know, I mean, it starts at the top of Posey Simmons, who's actually one of the greatest comics in the world yeah, the last forty <laughs> the years. It's so uh, like, come you on. You know, down to like. Emma Vicelli and Leah Moore, who's a very talented writer. But then he writer. makes the case that, oh, well, that's non-superhero stuff. Well, well you know what? This is last year. This oh, okay. is last year. So, that, so then year. this year, the guest list was listed, and guess what? No, no women. women. No women. And so everybody kind of took to, to Twitter, and I, I was actually getting on Mark quite a bit myself, because because he just trotted out. You know, I like Mark personally quite a bit, and I really like his work. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, you know, he is a sound guy uh, to hang out with, and, um, you know, he's also been very successful. I really, you know, respect him for the success he's had with Kick-Ass and, and um, Wanted and so on. Um, but he just trotted out these tropes. It was a trope trot. <laughs> it was. <laughs> you could play bingo with it. You really could. It was, because, yes. because then he said, it, 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 it's every like, cliche you can imagine. It's like, well, then who should we have? Because yeah. this is like, you know, Dan DiDio got in the same thing at San Diego yeah. with Kyrax. And when people yeah. say that, when people go to immediately to the, well, what women should I bring point, or, you know, we only want top creators and women aren't top creators, that immediately sounds like, maybe they don't mean it this way, but it sounds like, 
Well, I don't like any female creators. Yeah. I think yeah, female I, creators are inherently not good. The ones that you think are top creators are top creators. It's I like, mean, well, it just shows that they haven't heard of any. Yeah. I mean, how or the, the, Yeah. Or they haven't or they tried very haven't hard tried to very find hard. it. Or they're actively avoiding them because on some yeah. level they have a prejudice. I yeah. mean, yeah. they may not really, but it yeah. really comes off like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just so ignorant. Ignorant like, and insulting. It's like I said, this month alone, a woman is drawing the Hulk. A woman is drawing Spider-Man. A woman is drawing Conan. I mean, how it's, much bigger do you have to get? Are you that It's hard to ignorant? take it seriously, the notion that you cannot find top-level creators to be a part of, of, and, of, and this of year, a, people came up with another convention. list. They're like, "Well, what about this creator? What about that creator? Yeah. They're all names. I, I mean, mean, you know, like, uh, you can't miss them. Uh, like, there's tons of women, uh, European women, drawing uh, comics. You know, from Marvel, DC. You know, Sarah Pacelli is drawing Ultimate Spider-Man, and like one of the best new artists of, of the decade. And I also know? found that the there seemed to be a couple of comments about the, somehow the woman couldn't fill up a 700 seat. Yes. Yes. And then there was, but then I was like, I was like, <laughs> have you never been to a Comic Con, you fool? But mean, it's also on. like they had guests on there. Well, I pointed out after Mark said that, I said, well, you have Paul Grist on there and I, Shaky Kate, and I love them to death. But guess what? They're not going to fill it. He's like, oh, well, they're on the image panel. So what do, what am I supposed to do? Well, why no. don't you put some women on the image panel? <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. you know, well, anyway, this yes. all the next day, not on Twitter, because mm-hmm. I think. At Facebook, he said, "Oh, guess what? We have this collective coming, and five of them are women. And we told you that on Monday, so no. it's all good. So yeah, well, good, good. <laughs> well, there good. you go. You know, but uh, I, I, you, you know, maybe just, next year you won't have to have the whole internet well, banging you over the head. Oh, well, I it. just, you know, Mocha did the same thing when they yeah. ran, and you know, this is indie comics where you can't Wait, spit come on, without but come on. I mean, like, if it's fifty percent <laughs> women, I would be shocked if it's not more. Yeah, right, right. And 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 the so last year they put out a guest list that had no women on it, and then. Like it, when this was pointed out by myself and every other reader <laughs> yes, on the internet, uh, they sent out another press release that was like, "Oh, we forgot Pizza Island. Oh, we forgot Kate Beaton." It's like, how do you, how do you, how do you forget them? Kate how Beaton? do you forget them? If they were really on your guest list to begin with, you would have well, really announced uh, them. I mean, do you not know that Kate Beaton is the hottest cartoonist in North America? I mean, uh, kind of hard to yeah, figure uh, yeah. That. I mean, the whole thing this is goes, like, and even you can't just like throw beat Kate Beaton at a problem being like. There, see, I don't have any problem with women. Like after we've already jumped on you, like yeah, well, no, it's unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, well, we will move on from uh, Mark Mala because he got his kapow a little earlier, yeah. a little earlier than he expected. Uh, news briefs from Kate. Okay, news briefs. Announced last December, the beloved Marvel Adventures line ends in March with Marvel Superheroes number twenty-four and Spider-Man number twenty-four. Now Marvel has announced that they'll be replacing them in April with the Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes Adventures, and Ultimate Spider-Man Adventures. This has two interesting facets. One, they are based on Marvel's uh, two flagship cartoons coming out in April also. Uh, the second season of Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and Ultimate Spider-Man, the cartoon. The second interesting thing is that there's already a comic called Ultimate Spider-Man. Which stars a completely different character than Ultimate Spider-Man Adventures. Thanks, Marvel. (laughs) This will lead to a certain amount of confusion, I'm fairly sure. But in any event, it's interesting that Marvel for so long had had a kid's line of comics that was totally unconnected 
to their uh, line of kid cartoons. Well, yeah. Uh, now, can I mention, I'm a little confused. Is this the, the Marvel line of graphic novels that are redoing the origins uh, no. for a new generation? This is a whole other thing. whole completely different whole thing. thing. <laughs> Pardon my confusion. Okay. Well, this is, <laughs> this is actually part of the issue because Marvel had like three or four different lines aimed at children, none of which intersected. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, because the, we're that, cannibalizing the, the, the market. The novels people. were supposed to be this new entry point. Yeah, for they're still coming readers. out. I think, but these are for even younger. Yeah, yeah somewhat younger. Even younger readers. Okay. So I think the uh, the season one ones coming out mm -hmm. are aimed at more like young teenagers and yeah. up, whereas uh, Adventures is more like I see. eight and up. I see. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. So way to go, guys. <laughs> so also, at least they, you I, our know, confusion is now total. But at least, you know, at least they're doing something. <laughs> they are no, doing no, something, no, and I, I, I feel like this, be so this, smart this is they are. this they're is thinking about they're really thinking about and trying trying to make it coherent. Because mm -hmm. I admit, when I was trying to explain Marvel comics to various even adults I knew, who were like, "Oh, I watched the cartoon. Which comic book should I pick up?" And I'm like. Well, if you like the cartoon, you should pick up Marvel Adventures. And they're like, so is it the same as the cartoon? And I'm like, no. Is it Marvel 616? No, also. Is it Ultimates? No, it's not that either. So I can see how they might have wanted to pare down their lines, especially when things were aimed at the same audience. Okay. Also, about children, Garth Ennis, not usually known for his family friendliness, is going to Kickstarter with a proposal for a children's book called Earth, about four <laughs> primordial ooze creatures. Okay. Sounds like a real charmer. Okay. Yes! Kickstarter to the rescue. Kickstarter to the rescue. And on far less family-friendly terms, uh, J-Manga has uh, added Yuri and Yaoi titles. <laughs> um, and, and define for our audience who may not quite know, what is Yaoi and what is Yuri? Yes. Um, <laughs> Yaoi is frequently, but not always, mm -hmm. explicit gay comics. Mm -hmm. And Yuri is frequently, but not always, explicit lesbian comics. Um, Yaoi, boy and boy, Yuri, girl, girl, girl. Girl, girl, girl. Girls love, boy love. Yes. 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 And so they are coming out with I Love You, Chief Clerk, <laughs> by Keiko Shino Kinoshita, and Poor Poor Lips, the Yuri title, by Hayaka Goto. And normally they retail for $8.99, but for a limited time only, they're $5, which is significant because they have a competitor trying to get into the same market at the exact same time. Uh, a new digital manga company called Sublime has also launched with an across-the-board, all-the-time, $5.99 a volume price where you can not only just read it online, like with J-Manga, but you can download it as a PDF and keep it forever right. for so, yourself. So these are all digital releases. That's They're all that, digital yeah, releases, right. but but they have the advantage of a lower usual price point right. and yeah. the ability to download and They're partnering with Viz Yeah, Sublime is partnered with Viz. Viz. Now, Viz makes it clear that, it, that Sublime is not supposedly a Viz imprint, but they are partnering with, with, uh, with yeah. Sublime to get the books also into print circulation as well. Yes. Um, and the launching lineup of Sublime includes the long-running series Love Pistols by Tarako Katabuki, Husband Honeymoon by Haruko <laughs> Minami, 
The Bed of My Dear King by Sakai Kusama, and Okusan's Daily Fantasies by Nubaro Takatsuki. Okay. Sounds promising. <laughs> well, if that's what you like, you now have yeah. more options. And you won't need the pr- plain brown wrapper when reading it on the subway. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of <Right>. boys' love... <laughs> yes, popular with the exact same audience. Funny thing about that, Smallville <laughs> is that's coming right. back in digital comic format to the DC Comics app for uh, IFS iOS and Android and, you know, all other devices. It's going to be 12 installments of Smallville, season 11, and then it will be collected uh, in four issues to a volume, uh, collected editions, starting in May. So this is not the first time that DC has done a um, property spinoff in all digital format. Fringe actually premiered this, but, you know, this is sort of interesting that something started in comics and went to the screen is now being revived only in comics. Right. Well, well they're, this, they're doing those digital. Uh, you yeah. know, they meant, you mentioned the French comics. They just announced this week also that they were doing uh, be more beyond the fringe. They had Jonan Vasquez from, uh, you know, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac that fame that is yeah. doing them. So uh, looks like the Maybe digital. Maybe he's a J.J. Abrams fan. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, perhaps. Or maybe JJ is a Johnny fan. Um, Could but, be. uh, anyway, uh, these probably coming out of DC's entertainment's digital arm on the West Coast. So it looks like they're doing some stuff, you know? Yeah, it would be interesting to see if there is indeed a market for Smallville season 11. Yes. And, uh, and Johnny the Homicidal Fringe, uh, there's a market for that. Well, it's only a TV show well, that, that it's, it's uh, had a lot of legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I, in my, just in my opinion, I, I mean, I thought one of the great things about the Smallville TV show is that I, I mean I think that that superheroes without costumes mm-hmm. I mean really have really have an ability to kind of keep the genre alive. Well, I, I think that's, well, about halfway through they got costumes. Yeah, well they did that, but they were still pretty restrained though. I mean, relatively kind of whatever they were wearing kind of coincided with the old you know you know you would see them they'd have shorts on and it would look like well it'd be the same color schemes as the well costumes. it looked like. Basically, they didn't have professional costume designers, so they made their costumes out of clothes you could actually buy. <laughs> but they were still costumes. Yes, no. All right. And now we have run out yeah, of okay. news briefs, and it's time to Let talk make, about yes. books. I'm going to just make, just a really briefly, because we may have even mentioned this before, but you know what? It's such an awesome uh, series. We're going to mention it again. Corto Maltese. If, you, if you've never heard of it, then it's time. Um, um, it, created by Hugo Pratt, one of the, the great adventure comic strips really of all time. Uh, the, it's kind of the, the story of a, of a kind of, of a, a drifting adventurer, uh, generally in the time frame around World War II. Uh, and he seems to show up in the most interesting historical places um, all around the world at, at the most interesting Historical periods. Yeah, well, this is comics exoticism at its at its finest. Yes. I mean, Pratt was absolutely one of the best, and this is one of my all-time favorite comic series, actually. So, the Ballad of the Salt Sea, published by actually kind of an unusual publisher uh, for comics, Universe Publishing. They're better known for publishing art books. Yeah, so uh, we're part of Rizzoli, correct? Yes, it is. Yes, yes, it yes, is. yes, yes. So, uh, uh, every, handsome trade paperback. Everybody's edition. been wondering when Cortal would come back to comics because he's had editions. NBM put them out yeah, a while ago, right. and then mm-hmm. back in the day, there 
was one of the very first European comics brought over um, by Tony Riola. So, um, but it's never really gotten the uh, release that some people think that it could uh, deserve. And there's a new translation, which is very important to mention, because some of the previous translations were kind of crap. So anyway, so, so yes, yeah, something to look forward to. That's out uh, in March, right? Yeah, and um, oh, one other thing to our vast legion army of listeners out there um if you're if you're downloading uh more to come if you're going to itunes we need some reviews yes yes Say if some, you like uh, listening to us sit around and yap then you need to tell tell uh tell write us. a review yeah. give us some stars on uh on itunes uh we have one review there now and it's an awesome review, and I don't think it's by anybody either any of us knows. Either. Yes, we have some. <laughs> so, no, it's a bonus. Yeah. It's not like we called our moms and we're like, <laughs> yeah, hey, no. mom, we need some reviews. Well, we love nothing more here than to touch a stranger. So. Yes, right. Yes. So uh, so come on down to iTunes and, and touch us. Right, mm-hmm. and yeah. their reviews. If there's something that you, you know, want to voice about our podcast, like... I don't know. Why don't you talk about manga more, or why don't you cover any Portuguese comics? Sure. Yeah. Feel free. And we're pretty we... easy to reach. I think all yeah. of uh, there's a plethora of email addresses that you can uh, you could reach us at. So please drop us a line. Let us know. Review us. Touch us. Um, all right. Yeah. And uh, until then, there's more to come. Always more to come.